Thank you. I'd like for you to take God's Word tonight and turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 3. And I want to share with you just a little passage that God laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago. I try. I have a little notebook that I carry around with me. And if I'm reading the Word or in a particular circumstance and I believe that God impresses a passage on my mind, I try to write it down and uh, return to it if I believe it's something God would have me preach on. And this is the text I believe God would have us look at tonight, Matthew chapter 3. And this is really the first public appearance of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, at least recorded for us in the book of Matthew. And it's preceded by some events that surround a man called John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist was quite a character. I want to look briefly at him and his message. And I believe there's something very important in it for us this evening. Matthew chapter 3. If you're still finding your way around the scriptures, the Bible is made up of two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. And the first book of the New Testament is the book called Matthew. You have there the four gospel records. There's only one gospel, but there are four men who write, they record the gospel from their perspective. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first of those four is Matthew. He gives us his record. I want you to look with me, please, at the first 12 verses. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cut down, and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Would you bow your head with me, please, and let's pray that God would bless the reading and the preaching of his word tonight. Father, we ask of thee at this time, as we open thy word, open our hearts. As we open up the sacred pages of scripture, open up our minds and allow us, Father, not just to hear, but to receive thy word tonight. Change us, we pray. We care little about being challenged if it doesn't change us. We care very little about being moved 
if it doesn't bring about a lasting change and result. So, Father, we pray, send thy spirit to do a work that no man can do. Use me to be the voice. Use me to be the messenger. Father, I pray that thy spirit would move and work in hearts tonight. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. John the Baptist was a mighty man, a mighty voice, a great preacher, an uncompromising kind of a man, a bold man, the kind of fellow that pulls out all the stops and lets it rip. That's this man, John the Baptist. He was such a character that Jesus later on would say of him in Matthew chapter 11, in verse number 11, Verily I say unto you that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Imagine having that testimony. Not a greater man than John the Baptist. He went on to say that all those in the kingdom could be as great and mighty as he. But this was the kind of man that he was. He was a man that was prophesied before he ever was born. Isaiah prophesied of his life and ministry. And John testifies of that even in our text today. He preached to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you tonight that the spirit of John the Baptist lives on today? And the ministry and calling of this man is still alive today. And his work must continue. John the Baptist preached to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. Look this way. It is our responsibility today, the responsibility of every gospel preacher to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. And it is just as important and necessary today as it was then. And we learn so much about the calling and work of a gospel preacher today by looking at this man, John the Baptist, then. Look at his calling and ministry. The Bible says in verse number 3, This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The voice. That was his calling. God was the speaker. John was the tool. And by the way, that is the same today. Every God-ordained preacher, by the way, not everybody that preaches is God-ordained, but every God-ordained preacher is the voice. God is the speaker. The preacher is the voice. If he be obedient to the heavenly calling. We find in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13, the Apostle Paul reminding us of this very thing. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. You see, that's what happens. It sh- that's what should happen when a man stands up to preach the word. It ought to be the word of God being delivered through a conduit, through a vessel, and we ought to receive the word. Now, if a man preaches something that is contrary to this book, then you know he is not to be listened to. He is not to be heard. Don't waste your time. If a man's giving his ideas and his opinions and talking all sorts of nonsense, it's best it's time for you to find another preacher, find another church. But if he be faithfully declaring, thus saith the Lord, then you ought to receive the word that he delivers as from God. This is the calling of the minister today, to be the voice. John prepared the way. Christ Jesus, the Word. He was preparing the way for the Savior. John prepared the way, then the Word came and did His work. Now, how did He prepare the way? The same way we ought to be preparing the way today. 
You know what John did? He was a voice that did this, that shouted and said, wake up. Would you look this way for a moment? It is time that we woke up. Some of you here today do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You've been living a lie. You've been living a false reality. You've been thinking that you know what you're doing and you've been living your life without God, without the concept of God. You've been trying every day of your life to live without thinking of Him. And my job tonight is to tell you to wake up because you're living a lie. You want to fill your life with all sorts of worldly possessions, possessions and material things and try to get on with your life without the reality of God? Wake up. Wake up. John came to grab man's attention. Revelation chapter 14 is interesting. We hear another passage about the voice. I looked and lo, the, a lamb stood on, the, on Mount Zion and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice, there it is again, from heaven as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to their Lamb. The voice preparing the way, grabbing attention for that which was to come after. That's the job of the voice. Interesting observation. Uh, I've been studying the life of Samson. I hope to return to that at some point. We, we never quite finished that great chapter in Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But these last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about Samson, studying him. It's interesting. A commandment went when Samson's mother was carrying Samson in her womb. God said to her, you shall not, do not touch strong drink. You cannot have strong drink. And Samson was yet meant to be a strong man. Another interesting observation, when John the Baptist was being born by his mother, his father was struck dumb. His voice was taken away. He had no voice. But yet his son was born to be the voice. What a thought. What a principle. What a pattern that we see here. And here we have this voice preparing the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John came to clear the way. To get rid of all the rubbish. By the way, we're living in a generation and a day when there is more rubbish in the church than there is truth. There's more nonsense from the pulpit than there is that which is the Word of God. And the saddest part is most of God's people don't even realize it. They sit in churches, they sit in church houses and listen to a whole load of watered-down nonsense and don't even realize they're being fed watery milk. John came to clear the way. John claimed, came to clear the rubbish. We know it by the way that he lived, that he was a man that was a man of no, no nonsense. He didn't, he didn't really care about what anybody thought. The Bible tells us in our text, he had the raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Didn't care what he was wearing, didn't care what he ate. He was a man who was more interested in his message than he was in what he looked like and how people received him. Get rid of all the nonsense. Let's get straight to the point. And this was John. This was his calling. This was his ministry. Prepare you the way. 
Now, what was his message? The message, by the way, that he had is the same message we have today, and you need to hear it. His message, very simply put, is found in the center of verse number 11. He that cometh. Here's the message that John preached. He's coming. And here's the message that we must preach today. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now there's a lot that comes with that. But the whole reason John went out into the wilderness, the whole reason John was the voice, and the whole reason he prepared the way was because somebody was coming very soon, and that somebody was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And his job was to make sure everybody was ready for him. And tonight, my one job is to tell you that Jesus is coming. My one responsibility, in a nutshell, my message is the same as John's, Jesus Christ is coming. Revelation chapter 1, the very last book of the Bible, as you know. Revelation chapter 1, I love this, in verse number 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. This is a message to the church. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh. The very beginning of the last book. The very beginning of the book that is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book that deals with the end times, the end of all things. Behold, look, he's coming. That's our message tonight. It's the same message as John's. By the way, this is not a new message. It's a message that Jesus preached while he was here the first time. He spoke more of his second coming than he did his first coming. I'll give you just a couple of examples. Matthew chapter 17 and in verse number 27, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew 24 and verse number 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He's coming. Chapter 25, the very next chapter in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory. Chapter 26 and verse number 64, we find once again, Jesus Christ said, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Would you look this way? Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you ready? If I could look each one of you in the eye tonight, I'd ask you, are you ready? If Jesus came tonight, are you ready? Far too many of us are playing games. We play Christianity just enough, just enough to feel better about ourselves, but not really ready. Now, what does it mean for us? John's message was more than his coming. His message was to prepare people for his coming. So he was telling them, look, he's coming. I want you to be ready for when he comes. And can I tell you tonight, look, I want you to be ready for when Jesus does come. And he is coming. And you've got to be ready. 
So how do we get ready? The message is very simple. Verse number two, it's a message that was preached from the beginning of the Bible until the end of the Bible. It's a very simple message. Repent ye. You know the first sermon Jesus ever preached? Repent ye. What well, was a sermon that the prophets preached from village to village and town to town and city to city over the mountains, everywhere they went? Repent. It's not a popular message today. No, we'd rather hear messages about how good God is and how loving and caring and kind and, and warm and fuzzy and cozy and all that kind of a thing. But the message that's been preached from throughout the ages is, look, repent. You've got to repent. And repentance is a turning away from your sins and acknowledging of your sins, turning from them to Jesus, the only one who can wash you clean of them. That's the message. Repent ye, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if Jesus really is coming again, and I believe he is, and if he's coming soon, then don't you think you ought to get yourself ready? And I'm telling you, if your sins have not been washed away when he comes, you're going to be in trouble. Repent ye, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. I love that expression. What's that mean? It's at hand. Literally, look here. It means it's close enough you can touch it. Can I tell you tonight that salvation is at hand? Today is the day of salvation, we read. Now is the accepted time. Salvation is at hand. It's close enough for you to touch it. The kingdom of heaven is so near that tonight you could grab it. Or it could grab you. But so is the coming of Christ. Do not be mistaken. Do not think you can walk out of the flap of this tent and, and, and you can, you know what, anytime you want to, you can be saved. Don't be mistaken thinking you can walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm gonna, that was a little bit intense tonight. I'm going to wait till everything calms down a little bit, then maybe I'll, no, no, no. Don't be so foolish as to think that you can walk out of here and you decide when you're going to want to get saved. You're foolish. If God by His Spirit is piercing your heart... And tonight you feel the need, the conviction that you know you've sinned against God and you believe He's coming and you're not ready. You know you're not ready. But oh boy, you better hear the word of John the Baptist. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's amazing the message that we're given. And he goes on to say in verse number 6, uh, they were, he was out baptizing people in the Jordan. And what were they doing while he was baptizing them? They were confessing their sins. Now, we live in a generation when we're, we are being told, we're being told how to raise our children. Uh, interesting to me, when the government ever thought it was their responsibility to tell parents how to raise their children, I don't know when that started. Don't tell your children that, you know, they've done something wrong. Don't tell your children that they've met. No, no, don't correct your children, they say. But we're told in the scripture that no man ever comes to salvation until they acknowledge they've sinned against God. Don't you recognize that is a tool of Satan to teach our children early on that they never have to acknowledge their sin? When the opposite is true in God's Word, God's Word doesn't want us to live in guilt of our sin. He wants us to acknowledge it, confess it, turn away from it. And these were people confessing their sins. They got to their knees and said, I am wrong. Confession is simply agreeing with God about your sin. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to make it out to be better than it is. I'm not really that bad. Look at that fella. He's worse than I am. Look at her. She's a lot worse than I am. At least I'm not like that. No, no, no. Confession is when it's you and God and you agree with God about yourself. 
When you admit, you hold your hands up to God, God, I'm guilty. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming somebody else. And confess your sins before him. The Bible says when that was happening, the religious hypocrites came. The Pharisees and Sadducees came. And then John turns his attention to them. I don't know, maybe there's some Pharisees and Sadducees here tonight. I don't think so, but maybe there is. He turns his attention to them and he says, Oh, generation of vipers, you bunch of snakes. See, that's the kind of preacher that he was. He found some religious leader. Maybe he was a, like a pastor. Some religious office. And he said, you bunch of serpents. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, can I tell you something very serious about the coming of Jesus Christ? For the Christian, are you listening? For the Christian, the coming of Christ is a glorious day. If you've been born again tonight, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's not a scary thing. I'm not one bit afraid of Jesus coming back. I'm excited, looking forward to it. Because that's the day I'll be set free from this body of death and sin. The day I'll be set free from this sin-cursed world. The day I'll be set free from all trouble. I'm looking forward to that day. But to the one who is unbelieving, for the one tonight who is unrepenting, the day of Christ's return, the Bible calls it a day of wrath. A day when God's anger and wrath like sea billows are poured out upon the world. John says, didn't anybody warn you about the wrath that is coming? Look, for the child of God, the return of Jesus is a glorious day. He'll wipe away all of our tears. He'll take us into his arms and hold us near to himself. And he shall dwell with us and we shall dwell with him. And so shall he ever be our Lord. It's a marvelous day. But for the unbeliever, the day of Christ's return is the most terrible day you've ever known in your life. A day of wrath. And it's coming. And therefore, John says, you ought to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance, meaning give evidence that you have repented. Now, would you look this way? I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings tonight, but we are living in a day when people are told that if you just say this little prayer, if you just bow your head, repeat after me, I'll put my hand on your shoulder, put my hand on your head, say this little prayer, repeat after me, bang, abracadabra, kazam, you're a Christian, I'll see you in heaven. Wrong. That's wrong. John said, you call yourself a Christian, you say you've repented, bring fruit. What's the evidence that you have repented? Can I ask you tonight, is there any evidence in your life that you have ever been born again? Is there any evidence in your life that you really have changed? You ought to bring forth fruits that are answerable, that give evidence that you have repented. I wonder tonight, would you just stop for one second? And ask God by His Spirit to show you in your own heart, is there any fruit, any evidence? And then John, I love this, then John does something uh, that, that many people don't like to do. He gives a warning about the wrath to come. And he gives that warning with two illustrations. I want you to hear these illustrations in closing. He says in verse number 10, speaking especially to these religious hypocrites who are trusting in their own righteousness, trusting in their own goodness. He says in verse 10, look, he says the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now I grew up, many of you know, I grew up in uh, the sticks in the hills of Ohio. We, I went from a trailer park. We took the trailer out of the trailer park and plopped it on top of a hill. 
on 10 acres of land. We were surrounded by all sorts of other hundreds and hundreds of acres of land, but we had our 10-acre little patch with a little hillbilly trailer on top of the hill. And there we were. That's where I grew up. We had a wood-burning stove. We were so hillbilly that we had a little single-wide trailer, and we put a little addition, a little cabin on the side of it, cut a hole in the side of the trailer, and put a wood-burning stove in there, and we put a fan in, in that hole we cut and blow the heat through the trailer. That's the way we heated the place in the wintertime. And so we had to cut firewood. We knew something about cutting trees down and cutting up logs and stacking the wood for it to season and taking it into the woodshed and taking it out of the woodshed and into the house. That was my job, my perpetual job, cutting firewood, getting it ready, keeping the house warm. I can remember I was probably Micah's age, maybe somewhere between Titus and Micah's age, and, and I had been well accustomed to splitting logs with an axe or a maul, as we would call it, and I thought, I'm going to go cut a tree down with an axe. My father and grandfather and mother even cut trees down, and I would sometimes split it. But I was going to take this thing back to the woods and cut it down myself. Slung the old axe over my shoulder, headed back to the woods to find myself a tree to chop down. There I was, can you imagine, between Titus and Micah's age, all by myself in the woods with an axe. And uh, you've seen, I've watched it all many times myself, and I thought, you lay that axe to the root of the tree, and you, you touched it several times, as if you knew what you was doing. That's what I was doing, like I knew what I was doing. But you did that because you were about ready to strike. That's what, that's what John is saying. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. And therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is cut down. You know what John was saying? John was saying, I want you to understand something. That we are there. It's not that it's going to come. Hey, we're getting close. We are there. The axe is touching the root of your tree. And all he's looking for is if you've got fruit in your life. And if you don't have fruit, if there's no fruit, my friend, you're coming down. That's what he's saying. Now, can I tell you, when Jesus Christ comes back, that'll be the same reality today, tonight. If Christ comes back tonight and there's no evidence in your life that you've ever been saved, ever been born again, then I'm telling you tonight, by the authority of God's word, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And every tree, I don't care what your name is, I don't care how much money you gave to the church. I don't care what you've ever done with yourself. Every tree which does not bring forth good fruit will be cut down and that tree will be cast into the fire. That is reality. Now, often we don't hear about this. I wonder tonight if the axe were to fall tonight. Would your life be one of the lives that are cut down? He goes on and gives another illustration. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. I'm not even worthy to carry the man's shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. Here's a second illustration. Why don't you listen to this one? First, the axe laid to the root. Second one, the fan is in his hand. Now, look here. He's not talking about this kind of a fan. The fan was literally a pitchfork. His winnowing fork, that's what it was. His pitchfork, his winnowing fork is in his hand. Well, what's he going to do? He will thoroughly purge his floor. 
The Bible says, gives this illustration that the wheat has been harvested. All the wheat has been brought in to the threshing floor. In those days, what would happen is they'd cut down the wheat, bring it into a, a, a hard floor, and they'd cause cows, oxen to trample on the wheat, thoroughly trampling on top of it. And what that would do is that would separate the wheat, the kernel of wheat, from the chaff, the rubbish you don't want. I grew up eating this kind of wheat and eating corn from out of the field. We'd grow our own corn and we'd have to husk it. You'd pull the, you ever, ever eat, tried to eat corn and you, and you didn't quite get all those little, little bits out of the corn. And when you bite it, there's things that get in your teeth. That's not what you want. You don't want that. You want to separate the corn from that stuff you don't want in your mouth. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's going to separate that which is really his from that which is fake. Not even fake, but that which is just not in reality his children. And his fan is in his hand. After the cows, the oxen would tread on top of that wheat. The farmer would come along with his pitchfork and he'd toss it up. He'd get a big scoop of that wheat and that chaff and that straw. He'd throw it into the air and the breeze would blow all the chaff away. And that which was solid wheat would fall soundly to the ground. And he'd do that over and over again until all the chaff had been blown away. And the only thing left was the wheat. Would you look this way? That's what Jesus Christ is coming to do. And if you've never been saved, the Bible tells us in this text... His fan is in his hand. He will throughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Tonight, I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know if you've ever repented of your sins, confessing your sins before him and believing that Jesus died for your sins. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I don't know if he's ever moved into your life in such a way that you have been changed, radically, dramatically changed. You're not the man or the woman you used to be before. I don't know if that's happened, but if it hasn't, then the cry today, the message today is the same message John the Baptist preached. He's coming, and you've got to get ready. And it's, there's no mistaking it. There's no, there's no maybe, maybe this, maybe, no, no. It's you're either wheat or you're chaff. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either saved or you're lost. There's nothing in between. He's not going to ask you your denominational title. He's not going to ask you where you grew up. Are you saved? And tonight, that's the one question you need to be concerned with. Are you ready? He's coming. You can be ready. Look here. You can be ready, and being ready isn't about coming to this church or coming to any other meeting. Being ready is about you coming to Christ. Being one of his, being the wheat, which means you, you, are, you belong to him. Now, the only way you can belong to him is if you let go of this world. If you, if you stop belonging to this world and stop belonging to yourself, and you can't hold on to the world and to your life and to yourself and still hold on to Jesus. It can't be done. Christ Jesus, the Bible says, came to save sinners. Can you admit that you're a sinner? Can you acknowledge you've sinned against God and you know what you deserve? That's the first step. If you can't admit that tonight, there's no hope of your salvation. But if you can acknowledge you've sinned against God and you know what you deserve and then turn from it, only by the grace of God can you turn from it. No man ever turned of his own choosing. No man ever woke up one day and said, you know what, I've had enough of this life. I'm going to try another one. 
No, it's by the grace of God that you've been brought into this meeting tonight. Would you look here? It is not an accident that you're here tonight. You may think your husband drug you in. You may think your wife drug you in. You may think your mother or your father brought you here. But even you children, it's not an accident that you're here tonight. God in His mercy has brought you. God in His grace is moving and working to open your heart and open your mind that you might be saved and ready for His return. I believe that. I sometimes talk with people and they say, I don't know, I want to be saved, but I don't know. And I say, do you know that there's about 165,000 people in that city out there who have no interest at all in the things of God? And you're here, and you do have an interest. Do you think that's a coincidence? That's a sign to me that God is at work. That's evidence to me that God is at work. Oh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Look, you're here. And you have a desire and you want to be saved and you want things to be changed. Look and see that God is at work. And the Bible says, he that has begun a good work and you will finish it. I wonder tonight, are you ready? He's coming. He's coming. And when he comes, can I just say this in closing? When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, it'll be too late for you to make up your mind It'll be too late for you to get things right then. When he comes, that's it. We read about the story of the ten virgins. When the bridegroom came, the Bible says, those who were ready went in and the door was shut. No more opportunity. And if you wait until the Lord Jesus comes, the door will be shut and it will be eternally forever too late. But tonight the door's open. Tonight the door is wide open, as wide open as the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight he bids you, beckons you, come. Would you come to him tonight? Do you hear his voice? Do you feel the pricking of the spirit in your heart? The conviction of God's spirit saying to you, that's you. He's talking about you. Do you feel it? Do you sense God saying, that's you? You're not ready. You need to get ready. If so, then you listen to his voice tonight and you come. Believe on the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, shall, shall be saved. So come. Call on his name right where you sit. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. And I believe he will. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, we give thanks that thy word doesn't play games with us. We give thanks, Lord, that you care and you love us enough to tell us the truth. And I pray that tonight we might be shaken to the very core of our being, made to look and examine whether or not we're ready. And for those who aren't ready, Lord, please help them to see that the door is still open. There is time now. There may not be time tomorrow. There may not be opportunity later tonight, but there is now. Help them to see it and to feel it and to know it. And help them to come by faith and lay hold on Christ. Oh God, we pray, turn some from their sins tonight and save them. Help us as thy children to join in the campaign of declaring, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Help us to get in the line to get in the service 
of declaring that there is one coming mightier than I. Father, may we hold the torch up. May we lift up the trumpet and spare not. May we declare until we breathe our final breath, Behold, He cometh. Oh, use us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.